Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm so glad you're back. Um, And it's me, Heather, and also Mike Huber is here. Hello. (laughs) Um, And I'm still nervous about just recording one-on-one with people because I still have a little bit of the chemo brain fog going. Um, But Mike assures me he can talk if I forget how to talk. Yeah, I can talk and, and, you know... (laughs) sometimes it can get a little unfiltered so So we'll we'll just go with that um (laughs) so mike and i are going to talk about evidence-based and research-based claims and just sort of research in general and this is coming from um a couple of weeks ago i shared and this i've seen this all over facebook in the last few weeks um an article by peter gray um called beware of evidence-based preschool curricula Um, and you can find it easily by either following Peter Gray on Facebook or Googling, uh, beware of evidence-based preschool curricula, and it should pop right up for folks. Um, but when we, when I posted it, when I shared that on Facebook, Mike, you said, and this is our quote for today, Mike's Facebook comment, when someone says evidence-based, the questions are as follows. What evidence were you looking for? Why were you looking for it? And who is it for? So I'm going to start by letting you talk about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, admittedly, I was taking Lisa Murphy's three questions yep. that we use for our classroom. But also, it, it strikes me that a lot of times, especially when it's in legislation, like No Child Left Behind and things, it's these large companies that create assessment tools that push for that, you know? Mm-hmm. So then they have a reason to sell assessment tools to everybody because... Mm-hmm they can um, do that. So that's who it's for. Is it for the kids? I don't think so. I mean, I don't see any evidence of evidence-based working. Um, Mm -hmm. And in fact, I guess I wrote an article this year about the pandemic and that this was the perfect test case that if we got rid of all the stuff we don't measure for and just have kids online learning, you know, that the things we do measure they should do way better and we should have these kids who are just brilliant from the pandemic. It turns out the things we don't measure with evidence-based um, are the things that matter to kids. And mm-hmm. so it's not for kids. So that was the main yeah. thing. But, but, then, but then the question is, when you say evidence-based, what does that mean? So, <laughs> Yeah. And it's something that I've, I've sort of, um, you know, I guess had my own trajectory growth trajectory with where I used to just be really impressed by research. Um, and if anyone said this was research-based and I use the phrase a lot, um, and I still love to read it. Like I, I love to read journal articles and, um, uh, but 
it just seems like it's an attempt to um, to get a, adults on board and mm-hmm. to, it with in specifically in the early childhood context, we have to talk about research because that's the only way we can be taken seriously. Um, but then what can be measured by research? There's a lot of intangibles, as you mentioned, in early childhood um, care and, and in education that can't be measured. So it's, it's, that's already one strike against it, but also we're not looking then at what let's research things specifically about kids. We're looking at, let's research the things that would sell this to adults. Let's, let's do research about whether this curriculum, you know, gets them a better test score on their kindergarten screening test or whatever. Right. Right. And, and so it's research-based, but one of my big problems with the phrase is, um, should that thing that we researched and that you now claim to have proof of, you know, its efficacy or whatever, even be a goal? Should that even right. be a goal we have for young children? Yeah, um, yeah. And that's where I get really I sort know. of uptight I, about it. <laughs> I had a preschooler, this would have been oh, 25 years ago now, but it's when I taught in New York City in Brooklyn and this kid could name the entire infield and outfield of the New York Yankees something yeah. which I have never been able to do, but, <laughs> but that was his thing. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about it, what you were just saying, what if we made that the, the, the goal, we want all preschoolers to name that they can't, you know, we, we probably could, we yeah. could do that and we could measure it. Right. And we could develop a curriculum that led to and that. We could develop a curriculum <laughs> that leads to it. And I mean, you know, it's, it's a silly example, but you could do it with just about anything that, mm. you know, a lot of the things that, you know, some of these, um, they're usually aimed more at parents than teachers, but, uh, or, um, but, you know, around like learning the names of famous artists and paint famous paintings or mm-hmm. whatever it is, you know, different things tends to be things that maybe white middle-class culture aspires to like, oh yeah, like people who really make it, they know whatever fine art or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And kids can learn that and kids yeah. can develop that. And Again, it's like, but what's the point of that? I mean, if a child's into it, of course. Sure. You know, like, um, just like that child who's into the Yankees, you know, I had nothing against him. Probably his first, uh, you know, words that he spelled were, um, I think it was Derek Jeter at the time <laughs> was the most famous Yankee. Yeah. It's probably the only one I could name. <laughs> but, you know, those are the, that's probably how we learned to spell, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, which is great, you know, yeah. that, I mean, more power to them. But the idea that all kids would learn to spell that is, is, um, you know, just ludicrous. Uh-huh. And, and the same thing is true of any of our concepts. You know, I had a friend who would always ask, why do we teach kids the names of colors? And why do we feel so like, what does that do for a child? Uh-huh. You know, and he was just like, uh, he's like, I've been looking for research to show why. Mm-hmm kids should learn the names of colors and I haven't found it yet. And he said, yep. the only thing I've found so far is that it's vocabulary. So we could teach kids like eight or nine vocabulary words. That's great. I could teach them nine vocabulary words of anything. Yeah. Yeah. But if you deal? tune into their interests, like the Yankees, you can teach them so many more. I mean, they can learn so many more vocabulary right. words because that's dri- driven by them. Um, right. Right. But that's Actually, not going to be impressive to funders and grantors. Yeah. And- <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. I actually found, I was telling you that I found an article and 
the article is very dense and academic, but the title, I think it's exactly what you're saying. It's called The Paradox of Evidence-Based Education from the Decline of Education to, here's the part they think you like, <laughs> Abandonment of the Theories of Education. Oh. So, and it's, the article is by Rohai Matsushita. Um, and I was reading the translated version because I did uh-huh. not read Japanese. <laughs> and I apologize for the, the pronunciation. But, you know, the whole point is all of that, I mean, Piaget did do research also. Kind and of. some of the stuff that he, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. And, no. um, but, you know, and a lot of it was thought experiments. I mean, Vygotsky too, like yeah. he observed a bit, but then he thought about it. But I think the more important thing is what does it do with children? Like, so what do we do with kids? How does it affect the kids? Uh-huh. You know, who is it for? Thing if we, it's for the kids, it's like, yeah. oh, when you follow their interests, what do you know? And then Vygotsky and Piaget and, and others, you, you could name more than me, I'm sure. I mean, even just the <laughs> idea of schema theory, right? Like, yeah, it's hard to find th- good no, recent research on schema theory. Yeah, <laughs> but no child, like schema is trying to explain what we see kids do, uh-huh. not what we do uh, for the, two kids yeah. or for them. Yeah, two is and better. Yeah. You know, and it's, and I think it helps appreciate, I guess any research or whatever, does it help me appreciate the kids or yeah. even love the kids? That's the question. Not... Yeah. So I think it's, and how do I want to say this? It's a, there's a distinction to be made because I think the teacher as researcher can be very powerful and very yes. effective. And it's usually very child centered, or at least your current group centered, um, where you have something that you've noticed in the moment and you want to think more about it, learn more about it, maybe solve a problem. Um, which I think is where schema comes in really nicely. Um, and that's much different than, um, you know, academic research that we put up on the pedestal and we aren't allowed to question because it's research research. Um, but the thing about that, and I'm not, I haven't done academic research. I have been in, you know, when I was in the speech language department at Purdue, I was around people who were doing research or talking about projects. Um, and, you know, my, my youngest is an academic um, reading and interacting with lots of research, but um, you, you really, that academic research really is limited too, because you can't get money for it unless it's of interest to the person who's funding the research. Right. Um, and then, you know, those folks have to pay to have that research even published in the journals right. a lot of times. So there's, there's a huge money issue involved. Like if, if you can't find anybody involved, interested in proving, uh, which we could argue has already been proven the value of play um, or how play is, you know, what our, programs should be doing the most of then you're not going to have a lot of new research to defend your <laughs> to right, defend right. that when you go into arguments like this about universal pre-k or um you know different government funded kinds of initiatives yeah yeah um yeah that is, i was thinking i i was part of one research project and i thought it was a good question too, right? So it was actually based on my sister is also a preschool teacher. I don't think I've ever brought that up, but oh, um, nice. 
in her classroom, she would do a thing where she would just call big paper and cover <laughs> the table in paper and give kids things to mark with. And so uh-huh. she's in Head Start with a very specific goals around literacy. And yeah. so she would argue that this is how kids are going to learn literacy because they're whatever they're doing around it. Some kids are going to be writing, but some kids are just going to be talking while they're mm-hmm. doing it and noticing what other kids are doing. Um, her wife is a researcher <laughs> on literacy. Uh-huh. So decided, well, let's just show, you know, it was qualitative research, but it followed some kids from my classroom and her classroom. So I had sort of middle-class mostly white kids and she had mostly BIPOC low-income kids Mm -hmm. and let's see what happens and sure enough in both rooms there's following these whatever however many kids they ended up using the stories of yeah yeah these like five kids from each environment yep their literacy skills increased and you can see it during this you know and the question it's one of those I guess what I liked about it was the research was done around having to prove like, yeah, it's okay to ha- have kids sit around a table and draw. And write. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, so it's something that people do and probably for Head Start, they, that, well, you know, you're wasting time because you should be whatever doing flashcards. Yeah. I don't know what right. the pressure would have been. So yeah. it's kind of nice to sort of turn it, <laughs> turn it back yeah. on them. Like, oh no, look, we have evidence now. Ah, I want to play big paper. Yeah. <laughs> that but, sounds great. Um, <clears throat> yeah. But it is that question of, yeah, like, what do you do it for? And that was one that's a little different because it did go to the university level, but it was definitely really based on a classroom first. So, uh-huh. I mean, I guess my sister could have been, I mean, my sister, I think, started as the, the researcher first of like, oh, she's noticing because she was thinking more about inclusion. Uh-huh. These kids who have a harder time holding say a, a pencil or a marker or something, um, can they be around, you know, how do you include them in yeah. this? And then what are the conversations they have and found that, you know, the kids were just as uh, uh, involved, engaged, uh-huh. even if the marks they made were different. And, you know, so that's how she started this, yeah. researching it, right? It was more about how she get her whole class involved Cool. And, you know, definitely some pressure from above that it had to be literacy. Mm-hmm. So she's like, well, this is the thing that gets children engaged. Yeah. Give me, still meets... give me five minutes. I can make anything literacy. I can, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can form an argument. For the favor right, of right. That. But, but no, I um, get, I get that it really was what we traditionally think of as literacy. Right. Practice. Yeah, yeah. But it's that thing of, um, but I do think it's the teacher researcher. And I think of course, you'd agree to right that it's also the child as researcher which yeah. happens all the time when they put things in their mouth and right you know, yeah I yeah mean, that's kind of what schema is right absolutely in a way. yep yep so what I don't know that what just occurred to me is um I wonder if I can recall now that what I was going to say doesn't seem like I'm going to be able to <laughs> Um, this is my cue to start talking about. Yeah. Something. So go ahead, Mike. <laughs> well, I mean, I want to go back to your, the original thing too, mm-hmm. to not lose track of yeah. um, partly. I feel like it is that states are creating or have created these quality rating systems based on evidence-based research and things. And again, it's like choosing what the research is. Cause if you, I, I know, 
brain research isn't the thing we talk about anymore, but you know, the thing of like just having good relationships, interacting with other people socially, whether it's just meeting eye contact, whatever, increases brain activity, increases neuron growth, increases um, and neuron growth, not just neuron neuron pathways. And the more neuron pathways are used, the more, um, the thicker the myelination gets, right. you know, the more efficient yeah. they become. I still talk about brain development. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I bring it up because I know I just watched the last episode I recorded with you. And so oh yeah. With, I'm so tired Carol. of Carol. Yeah. 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 Um, and fair, but it's also interesting because that brain research actually shows that caring and love and mm-hmm. relationships actually are the thing yeah. that builds neurons, but that wouldn't be considered. I don't think people would talk about it as evidence-based. I mean, they might say it's research-based, but not evidence-based. They would maybe just call it say, science. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you could say the evidence is the neuron pathways are, mm-hmm. you know, becoming more efficient. Or yeah. But like, like so much uh, early childhood research, it gets misused and misunderstood. Um, Brain development is a good example of that. And I'll go back to, um, was it early 2000s when we first started talking about the first three years being the most important for a child's development, late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so people took that and were like, oh, okay, the research says these are the most important years. Let's cram them full of academic training during the first three years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, or I think about even now with the universal pre-K conversations, um, you know, they, they say research shows that high quality early childhood education leads to all these results, like uh, mm-hmm. less likely to go to prison and more likely to graduate yep. from high school and have a good job and whatever. And if we look, those what they're talking about usually is the Perry Pro- Preschool Project, the yep. Ypsilanti, um, or is that the same thing? That's the same thing. Yeah. The and, yeah, and Rebecca Marcon's study, yeah. um, which are pretty old now. But if you look at, at what the, so the research, their research did indicate that those good things would happen, but what was happening in the early childhood, high quality early childhood program wasn't academic training. Right. It was a lot of play. There was some, you know, academic instruction. Um, there was a lot of family support. And, I was going to say there was home visiting. And home visiting and, um uh, helping families address some of the stressors that would affect yeah. their children. So it's, it's not just these studies show early childhood is best. So we're going to cram school down into the three-year-old right. room. Um, it was. Yeah, no, yeah. It's really interesting. The way people, yep. And even cause uh, the Perry school project, you know, I don't know if you know, Louise Derman Sparks was one of the four teachers. Have you read and- her article? Her reflections I've, on the uh, Ypsilanti. I've talked to her about it and, yeah. and, and um, seen her speak on it. Um, and yeah, and she's very much like, this was actually about home visiting. This was about mm-hmm. relationships. And what they were trying to do was, um, I don't know what word to use, maybe honor the intelligence, the, the what the children brought, right? Yeah. And, you know, so it wasn't... Um, it wasn't looking for academic results. It was, what are these children doing? The the story I still remember, I can't remember if it's in the article, was about the kid who, because the, the housing projects right next to the school were, were a lot of kids, uh, the, a lot of the kids lived there. And uh-huh. one kid decided that they were kind of bored at school. So they went home 
<laughs> and she and the other teachers really appreciate it. Wow, he could find his way home. Uh-huh. Right? Oh like that gosh. was, they were, you know, and, you know, granted it was 1962, 63. So, yeah. you know, um, I don't think anybody really worried about it that much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the article is called something like um, the Ypsilanti project lessons I learned or something like yeah, that, yeah. but it's, it's Louise Derman Sparks. And I remember reading it a few years ago and thinking this puts a lot of what we hold as canon on its head. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> In early childhood, her reflections of what it was supposed to be and how it's been yeah. presented. And there's a and... pretty good um, NPR our, um, story about it as well. Oh. I don't know what, which of their programs it was, but they talked about the way originally it was trying to show that you could change IQ scores. Mm-hmm. And when they were looking at the, the, the um, information they had, the data, excuse yeah. me, <laughs> um, they realized, oh, like there isn't much change here, but there's huge change in terms of the social emotional learning mm-hmm. and, you know, they looked at that. And then it turns out that that actually has a much better correlation, if we want to use research terms, yeah. to what people do as adults. And even now, what the children of the children who were in that study, like yeah. those results in terms of, like you said, prison, welfare, finding a job, the highest level of education, yeah. all those factors. And if we use those, then there aren't many studies and there are only about a few hundred kids, like maybe a hundred in each of the studies or mm-hmm, something. Yeah. And at the same time, they clearly show that, oh yeah, social emotional learning is the most effective. If your evidence you're looking for, what will kids know more letters in kindergarten or uh, whatever? It's like, yeah, research will show that. Yep. Just drilling kids on letters, just like drilling kids on the Yankees infield mm-hmm. will result in, better attention of or knowledge of <laughs> yeah that little well, isolated fact yeah and and you know just there like I said I, I I enjoy reading research thinking about it talking about it um what I've learned is that I just don't take it you know at its face uh, yeah, at yeah. its word or whatever and I so there are there are ways to look at it and critically process it um you know look at I like to look up the references that are cited and, um, but actually I think it's Head Start has a really good document about um, reading research and what the different terms mean and how to sort of process the information um, that if I think about it, maybe I'll put it (laughs) in the uh, um, comments on the, when the episode goes. Um, So again, I'm not, and I don't want people who are listening to think, oh, she's anti-research and um, she just called my whole job junk because I'm a researcher. I just, I just think that it has to be more than just saying the word research-based or evidence-based. Right. And and the goal, it's okay to question. And requiring that to be like, you only use that. Yeah. And for something like education, like, well, there's so much that hasn't been researched. Yeah. Um, So like, I mean lining up to go somewhere <laughs> how much research has been done about that and i'd really like to see any research that shows that that's a good idea yeah in but wouldn't that be a great yeah. one to tell your administrator like well i i can't have the kids line up because there's no 
evidence. No evidence. <laughs> so we it's can use it. We can practice. use it in our favor sometimes. Then I don't right. have any evidence that says they need to sit crisscross yeah. apples. Well, as a as a teacher researcher, I have plenty of evidence that it doesn't yes. work. But um, yeah, but it's that funny thing that people really don't mean it when they say they want to require evidence-based teaching methods. Yeah. They have a very, very small, a very narrow idea of what is it teaching? Like you're not teaching most of the time because Mm -hmm. they think of, I mean, it really gets back to Carol's argument, right? They don't think of care as being education. Right. So it's only when you're in teacher mode, you use evidence-based and then everything else do whatever you want or whatever uh, you know it just yeah if you think about a full day in a child care center um and just think about the elements of the daily schedule it's really just nine to eleven anyway of that full day that children most right. children are in care that we're focusing on um academic training and and talking about being research-based and that leaves for a lot of kids eight or 10 other hours, right? <laughs> um, well, six or eight other hours, maybe more likely, but of the day where we're not worried about whether it's evidence-based or not, they're free right. play, they're in center time, they're napping, they're eat, whatever. Um, so it just needs to be broadened maybe too sometimes when yeah. we say our program is going to be evidence-based. Well, let's look at the evidence in care ethics research or right. let's right. look at evidence from um, uh just, you know, we have the play research. Uh, right. I, I just did my, you know, my end of year countdown of my five best books that I read of the year and um, let the children play by Posse Salberg and William Doyle was, uh, was the second on the list. And the quote was mm-hmm. something about, you know, someday we will really look at this research we already have. Um, right. And you could look at that play research in the same critical mode that we've been talking about yeah. with this other but I, I think the difference is when I read play research it's very child-centered it's very much about what the child is experiencing right. and what kinds of practice they get mm-hmm. with um with different skills and when I read the academic training research research it's much more about what the adults are doing to get the yep. kids to be something else so that gets back to the, who is it for right? yeah. yeah which yeah. and that's why I think I like that question you know mm-hmm. and um is that it always gets back to that. If you ask those three questions, um, then you kind of get stuck with, like with the play-based one, I mean, even if you did it in reverse of what would be the worst outcome if you let children play versus what would be the worst outcome if all you did was, um, I don't know, letter recognition, Mm -hmm. you know? It just, uh, yeah, it's kind of, I don't know. I mean, that's part of it, right? Is yeah. the, what is the harm that could be done? Yeah. Although, sure. they, like you said, that I think a lot of times they are thinking, oh, we're only talking about five minutes a day. <laughs> and it's like, so you're spending this much time uh-huh. for five minutes of an eight hour, 10 hour day? Uh-huh. Child? Like what, there's a problem with what you're looking for, you know? Yeah. And, and, and what we should be doing is what is the best situation environment whatever you want to say for children Uh whether they're at a place where people are being paid to care for the child or whether they're at home being cared for the child or yeah or they're at a friend family neighbor whatever you know like they're at someone's house who's volunteering to do it or you know grandma's there that's what we'd want to know right isn't it like what's best for children not (laughs) what's 
that's sure the rhetoric we hear yeah is that this is about children right but uh that's not the action I see most a lot of the times, Um, you know, and you can never really be sure too how, how much just maturation factors in to a, to a research project of any topic, you know, just how much would have happened already because the child's moving through her own developmental stages or. um, Right. And then the other, when you say that, it just made me think of the, the, whatever, atypically developing, Mm-hmm. right that the more like if someone gets labeled special needs then suddenly evidence based is just sort of piled on yeah and again not that's um when we had the conversation with um emmy and amanda and amanda uh-huh. uh, whatever episode number that is yeah. um not too long ago no. uh, they um they talked about that right of well all the children you know just sort of have informal conversation at mealtime but then the aba yeah. therapist was insisting this one child had to like ask for things in a very specific way yeah and all that and it was just that like so we're suddenly piling this onto one and aba does the same thing of ca- calling itself um evidence-based right the only evident evidence-based yeah, response only- for aba or for autism right and it just um it's that thing of what is the evidence you're looking for? And because yep. there's plenty of evidence, maybe not scientific evidence, but like I, I think I've said before, I haven't met a single adult, autistic adult who you, who had to go through ABA therapy who thinks that it was a worthwhile. Yeah. Or good for them. Good for them. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's somebody, maybe. Maybe. Is, but there's plenty of evidence that it's not. Right. And in general, I feel like, why don't we listen to adults so when we get into special needs why don't we listen to adults with the similar yeah. thing you know the deaf community for what to do you know yeah well and there's deaf, the classrooms of deaf and stuff sorry yeah that that just is another sort of aspect then of using evidence-based practices professionally is that each profession has their own base of evidence <laughs> right, and right. <laughs> so if i'm using my evidence-based approach to teach these three to five-year-olds um but then, you know, their therapist comes in and has a different approach. We have to, we have to figure that out. And I, it's, it's, it's very tricky yeah. um, to do it just for yourself, but then you bring in somebody else uh, to the, you know, to the team or to the classroom or the setting and you have to start all over again. Kind of. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I guess I think I like your idea of just saying it like that idea of being, um, and now I'm spacing on a word. Uh, Excellent. Uh, hesitant. Um, when you hear the word evidence-based, like, well, I mean, I don't want to say that I wouldn't do it in the classroom, but mm-hmm. what is it? And Yeah. How... It's just a matter of curiosity, like so many things curiosity, in working yeah. with young children. Um, it's, it's hard for people who want um, answers and solutions to classroom problems um, and who feel pressured <laughs> by whatever mm-hmm. the outside source is, it's hard for them, for, for some of them to allow themselves to feel curious. And then we get right. out of the habit of being curious or we go to school to get a degree and we're told that we now know, um, how, how to be a professional early childhood yeah. educator. And our curiosity is sort of poo-pooed, <laughs> but it's the same thing. You hear evidence-based, your first question should be, okay. 
why or right. what or what, who, yeah. you know, all those things that you had, those three yeah. questions. <clears throat> and I, I want to bring up one. So this is a story I heard. I don't know if it's actually true, okay. um, but the evidence is here because I'm saying it and now it'll be on the <laughs> internet. So, it must be true. so it's going to be true. Um, but during No Child Left Behind, you know, somebody, you know, they were like interviewing or, you know, going to schools, kind of um, talking to people and a teacher said, or no, I guess it was more about a business thing, but because they're asking like business leaders. So when you, you know, the guy made, I forgot, like was in charge of a company that made like blueberry muffins or, you know, like a bakery. Oh, okay. Yes. So mm-hmm. when you make, do you know this quote? Like, yeah. When yeah. you make blueberry muffins, you know, what happens if you get a shipment of bad blueberries? Oh, well, of course we don't use those or we send them back. And okay. So in education, whoever we get, we, are we work to, with, and we're not just, yeah, we work with, and we don't just make muffins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're not making one thing we're yeah. making, we're making future astronauts. We're making future painters. We're right. making future podcast hosts, you know, <laughs> like this wide variety right. of things, but we still so, try to function like a factory. <laughs> yeah. But we try to function like a factory and it's like, yeah, there is no one thing that will work for every kid. And if that's uh-huh. what you're looking for, then you're in the wrong. Sure. Business. Maybe, maybe a muffin factory. Yeah. That's where you should factory. be. Yeah. So I'd, I'd forgotten about that story. story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I still, I think it still illustrates that people keep thinking of it as you're not just making, you know, one thing. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah. There's many things. Yeah. Yeah. So you're well, not even just making baked goods, you know, <laughs> that's right. But, and that sort of goes to what Peter Gray wrote about in terms of short-term goals being what mm-hmm. a lot of the research was focused on. So Um, you know, we talk about school readiness in early childhood education. I would contend, assert, offer that we're really just talking about kindergarten screening readiness. Like that's really all that is. So if we can say all of our five-year-olds got into kindergarten, so this curriculum is effective or, um, you know, that third grade test that, that everybody has to take, um, and, and not look at what happens after those things mm-hmm. are, are, are accomplished. It's just, um, we just have to, we have to ask more questions about it and we have to f- figure out, okay, you say it's evidence-based. What is the evidence? What's mm-hmm. the goal? And then those three questions. Right. Yeah. And then if it is, they're just looking at kindergarten or even first grade scores alone, mm-hmm. then it's like, well, then that research, I mean, or that is not the evidence I need. Yeah. Yeah, it's not I'm even not teaching first graders <laughs> mm-hmm. or, or future first graders. I'm teaching humans. Yeah. And, and then you have to get into care and it gets messy. And right. I mean, in some ways, the anti care bias is all part of this, too. Sure. Because you can't measure care. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a quote that I'll botch and I don't remember who said it, but it's, you know, not everything that can be measured you can, you can't measure everything that should be measured yeah. and some things that should right. be measured can't be something like that. Yeah. And um, I always think of the story. I think you've used this too, right. Of the person looking under, you know, at a darkened parking lot, looking by the street light for their keys. Yeah. Someone comes to help and, you know, they're like, um, so it, you dropped your keys right over here. It's like, no, I dropped them over there, but this is where the light is. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I only want to look at the things that yeah. are easy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like it's not helpful. <laughs> when you're talking about humans so all right well i think that's a good stopping place with that story that that key the parking actually one last story is 
what are Perfect. your nails? I have um, oh. like glittery green. Um, mine are, where's my hand? Um, she's a trooper, they're called. And they're like an olive green kind of okay. color. Yeah, it's funny when you were moving color hand, I was like, oh, I think we, we're close. I know. I was color. noticing yours yeah. too. And I was like, I can't bring it up again. I bring this up every time Mike and I record. Still oh, holding out for that like color street sponsorship. Are, <laughs> mine, I have to say these ones are not color street. But the listeners expect it now. <laughs> yeah, but you can see mine are chipping already. Um, yeah. Because I didn't use color street, you see? So. <laughs> Thank you. That'll get, that'll get me the endorsement based. I've this been waiting for. It's evidence-based that Color Street is better. Um, although mine uh, are chipping too, but I just did a sloppy job of putting them on. That was just user error. Well, there goes the partnership. Yeah. <laughs> the sponsorship, I mean. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Okay. Thank you as always, Mike. This was really fun and, uh, yeah, and interesting. And um, I will try to remember all the things I quoted so that I can, all the resources I quoted so I can put them in when the episode comes out. But um, otherwise that's it for us today. And uh, come back again for another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. Bye everybody. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.